especially now that I've started to race and realized that I'm pretty like good at racing, that's an outcome that I can't contest with myself. I can't be like, oh, I placed in that race because someone liked me. Like, no, I placed in that race because I, did, I had a good race, you know? I ran hard, you know? Hello, hello. Welcome to Chill Track Friday. It's Ali. I'm Anne. What's going on this week? Well, I haven't seen you in a while, so it's nice to see you. <laughs> I know. I was in... Yet again, traveling for work. I had a lot of Cafe Nero while I was away. I was so wait, Cafe Nero means you were in London. Yeah, I uh, I was doing my expense reports, and they were like, there was like a list of charges for Cafe Nero. So as soon as I landed <laughs> at Heathrow, then at the Paddington station, as I was getting to the you know to the office, so I had a lot of Cafe Nero, and then I brought you back two bags upon request. I can't wait. To try them, thank you. Yeah. Uh, one thing, I was really offended that you didn't want my A to Z, that you didn't want a, a paper map. <laughs> yeah, you, you gave me a book. You gave me a, the A to Z to London. and um, Then I realized... Initially, I said, oh, I, I forgot. I, for, I was like, should I tell her that I just forgot it? Then I was like, why are you going to lie? Just tell her you didn't take it because you didn't need it. Because, because you there had- are maps on phones. Yeah, because, you know, because hashtag technology. Uh, Um, I love paper maps, by the way. Yeah, I I do, too. I was a huge Atlas slash map nerd. I always Really? Yeah. I'm really surprised. You're really... (laughs) (laughs) Yep. But, you know, now now I'm a digital map nerd. Equal, same thing, just it's on a, it's on, it's in software form. Yeah. Uh, so which Cafe Nero location did you go to? I went to the one in Heathrow when you come off and you're going towards the Heathrow Express mm-hmm. train. Mm-hmm. Then I went to the one in once the Heathrow Express gets to Paddington Station, just 25 minutes later, 20 minutes later. <laughs> um, and then all a bunch of them, the, two of them, not a bunch. I think there's two or one in Canary Wharf. Mm-hmm. Went there. I also visited my other location, um, Taylor Street Baristas. Oh yeah, you didn't have your punch card though. I didn't have. I got a new punch. You got card. a new one. You got to combine them next time. Oh, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, London was nice. It was good. You had good weather. I was surprised. You know, you go to London thinking, yeah, it's gonna be. You know, get ready for some rain. I did not get one drop. I was there for four days, Monday through Friday. Every single day was about. 70 degrees and sunny ev- mm. without fail every single day. That was pretty good. I got to visit your old neighborhood. That was yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Exmouth Market. Exmouth Market. And then it was good. I didn't I was recovering from uh the Brooklyn Half Marathon so I didn't I didn't run at all. And I the pretty busy early morning schedules at work anyway, so that was kind of a relief to not have to just just give recovery a full shot without having to worry about running at all. That's good. Recovery is important. Yeah. Recovery is very important. So, we should talk about our wonderful guest we have today. Yes. Who is um, this person? This person is a good friend and an amazing runner and a talented doctor and mother and all around great, funny person, Dr. Barbara Mann. It's so funny when we know people in one context and not the other. I don't think I've ever called her Dr. Man. 
Dr. Mann, indeed. I have a picture of her from one of the gridirons where she had the shirt that had the name, her last name on her oh, shirt. Oh, yeah, like in football, the football font. Football font. And it was, I was. I, I didn't realize she had. She was running in that shirt. So as I was taking like a burst mode photo of her passing by, <laughs> the backside has Mann and it looks so cool. It's yeah, so cool. It's, it's great. Uh, well, Barbara is assistant professor um, of medicine in um, at Mount Sinai Hospital. Her specialty is pulmonary medicine. She's certified in pulmonary disease and critical care medicine. And she got her MD at UMDNJ Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. And she did her residency in internal medicine at Columbia. And she did her fellowship in the pulmonary critical care at Mount Sinai. And she's been with Mount Sinai in New York ever since. And we're going to have a wonderful conversation with Barbara about her running. And we've also got some great medical questions that we've thrown in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's always fun. And you and Barbara have been instrumental to my running journey. And I don't want to tell that story now. Maybe I can just tell it when we were talking to Barbara. Um, yeah. So I'm really excited. We're excited to have Barbara on. Let's introduce our guest. Oh, wait. Oh, my God. I do this every single <laughs> time. Back up. Back, back it up. Back, back it, up. it up. We have something really, a little sneak peek exciting thing here is that we are going to, we have a new initiative that we're going to announce in a couple of weeks where we're going to have a contest that has something to do with fall marathoning. So stay tuned to our Instagram. And also we will announce probably on the next podcast what our contest is. But it involves our audience participation. Yeah. Get excited, nerds. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> back to Barbara. <laughs> Here we go. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Chill Track Friday, Barbara. We're so excited to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, it's great. So um, you are one of our running buddies and very good friends. And you're so inspiring to so many people just from so many different perspectives, you know, raising your beautiful daughters and your kick-ass career and your amazing running times. And so we wanted to chat about your running journey and just kind of how we all kind of got together at the same time we met in 2016, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Through New York Roadrunners group training. And it's been like such a wonderful journey. And it's been really nice for me personally to have you in my life and someone who's my age and we run together and we've had so many funny, so many (laughs) funny experiences on our long runs laughing. Um, So anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you. I have have a story. Can I just start like my own running journey in group training? Yes. (laughs) So both of you and, and Barbara, like it's our, for listeners who don't know, our group training is usually Tuesdays and Thursday mornings. So when I started, my very first workout was intervals, 400 meters intervals. And I had no clue. I'd never like been in a group setting and do that. So that was on a Tuesday. And I tried to chase Anne on the very first one. And I was like, oh, okay, that seems like a good pace. And after four of those, I was like, nope, don't do that. <laughs> They're like way faster than you. And that same Thursday was the tempo run. And... I tried to, you and Bobby were running together and I tried, Barbara and Bobby were running together and I tried to go with them and I was like, nope, don't do that either. It's like way out of your league right now. We'll get there one day. But that first week put the benchmark between the two of you for me. I remember it like vividly. I I remember what like in my head, what it looked like on both of those days. And I was like, yeah, that's something to look up to. (laughs) Thank you. And like we'll get there one day. Like just chase them and you'll get faster. And you know, it's really, really inspiring. So I've told you this many times. I want the listeners to know as well. (laughs) Well, it's funny because we were talking with a friend about our podcast and sort of to speak to how we don't often know who we're inspiring, but 
your episode is also by popular demand. <laughs> people want to hear from no. you. Yes, people want to hear from you. Thank you. you. <laughs> so um, can we just like start from the beginning? I mean, you sent us this really beautiful story that you told us that is your running journey. And we were joking. We we're like, well, let's just have Barbara read it. <laughs> but maybe you can walk us through it because it's such a wonderful, um, it's a beautiful story. So Sure, thank you. So I guess I, I mentioned that I've always been competitive about two things in particular, which are school and sports, but I was not very coordinated. Um, so my sports were pretty much things that involved things that I could just, you know, work at and work at until I got better. And that started early on, started, I remember in kindergarten when we used to play Red Rover, I would be insistent that I won in that game <laughs> and in field day in elementary school. And then when we had the presidential fitness test, I really wanted the top award and I knew I was bad at the shuttle run and chin-ups. So I insisted that my parents buy me a chin-up bar and installed in the basements. <laughs> and at nine years old, I was doing chin-ups <laughs> in my basement and shuttle runs with like the blocks that we would build with. I would put them on the opposite ends of the basement and run back and forth to the blocks. Um, so that was kind of the start. Um, and at some point in high school, well, when I uh, when I entered high school, I joined the cross-country team for unclear reasons. But um, right away, I was promoted to varsity because there was only three older girls and they needed five on the team. So me and my girlfriend, Cole, both joined and became varsity athletes right away freshman year. And that was really exciting. <laughs> and we were okay for freshmen. You know, it wasn't a super competitive team, but we did all right. And right away, the feeling of being considered an athlete and a varsity athlete at that as a freshman and, and that feeling of teamwork and camaraderie it just hooked me right away. Um, so I did okay freshman year and, and during winter track and spring track and that progressed. Um, and then eventually um, kind of it took a turn for the worse as like, you know, high school went on and I became, you know, went through just the typical awkward teenage years. I had gained a lot of weight at the time and you know, I think my body was just changing, you know, mm -hmm. and the head coach pulled me aside at some point in junior year and told me he thought something along the lines of I had gotten too fat to run mm -hmm. and then I had to lose weight or something like that. And I was so embarrassed and horrified. Sorry, I'm like <laughs> sweating now telling the story. Yeah. Um, but I quit. I just quit. And I joined soccer instead. And I had never played soccer and I was not particularly good at soccer. <laughs> and the whole thing just poisons all of, you know, athletics for me for a little while. Um, Did you, first of all, that's an awful thing for a coach to say. Yeah. Did you share that with anyone? Like no, what you were going through? Honestly, I had never thought about it until I thought of when you guys asked me to do this podcast and I was thinking through what my running journey was and it kind of popped up in my memory, but I really hadn't thought about it in decades probably. Well, you, so you almost like shut it out, right? The word you used was like it poisoned athletics for you mm -hmm. and that's kind of it makes perfect sense like it's like kind of a perfect word in terms of, you went to a sport that you like you said you you knew you weren't good at like coordinated team stuff or like things that require coordination but you're like well i'm good at running but at this point i'm losing my form for whatever reason and the coach says this horrible thing to you and then it pushes you to a place you know you're you're not gonna like you're right. not gonna be good at so it just kind of multiplies the yeah. poison in that term and really ruins it for you yeah yeah, yeah it was pretty it devastating yeah, yeah it was um but you know how was the soccer team were, were they more uh, like 
I just remember that being more fun. But I mean, I you know, I was playing with girls who had played soccer their whole lives. I had never kicked a soccer ball before. So I was good at the drills, you know, the running drills. <laughs> like, you should join the track team. Just, just put her on the wing yeah. and she'll be fine. Yes. But that was fine. It was okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I joined the gym at some point and just started just working out on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to college and I started running a lot on my own just to, you know, alleviate the stress from studying and things like that. Yeah, you described a pretty epic workout that you would do in college. Can you tell everyone? Yeah, so this is my stadium workout. So I went to the <laughs> University of Michigan, so it's a humongous football stadium. I think it seats like 40,000 people or something. And I would sneak in. There was one fence that you could get in that was sometimes open that you could sneak into. And I would run the stadium stairs. I would do the whole stadium. And at the top of each set of stairs, I would do push-ups or pull-ups or sit-ups. <laughs> 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 and that was my work. And I would jog there and jog back. So I would do that. Did you bring your pull-up bar to college? No. no. <laughs> but you could do pull-ups because the way the um, the stadium stairs were, they had the you know railings. Mm-hmm. So you could kind of modify a pull-up on that. Yeah. That's so, you're so <laughs> motivated. Yeah, yeah. I remember like when I joined group training, I was doing the Tough Mudder workouts with my coworkers at the time. And you like... Pull up is prob- pull ups are probably the m- uh, hardest slash scariest workouts that people you know try to shy away from. Like right. they're like yeah, just I I do push ups. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like pull ups are tough to you know tough to get to. Like okay, I can do five pull ups. That's like really good. And I remember at group training, you were like yeah, I had a pull up workout yesterday. I was like yes, she does pull ups. That's so great. <laughs> I like never hear someone volunteer that kind of information. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. That was college, and um, it never really progressed beyond that in college. And it was similar in medical school. It was just running to relieve stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at some point, someone suggested um, we were in like the team room where you kind of you know sit in between patients and rounding and things. And a friend suggested that I sign up for the Marine Corps Marathon. And I didn't think I'd get in, but I did it. And my sister also did it, and we both did get in. Um, and I would just train, you know, in a way that I told you I think is kind of comical now I had no idea what I was doing I would just run a few miles on the treadmill here and there and then for long runs my friend and I would go out on this rail trail in New Brunswick and we would just agree to like go for 40 minutes and I didn't own a watch but he did so he would time 40 minutes and we'd run 40 minutes and then turn around and run back 40 minutes and that was it you know I had no idea how far I'd went or how fast I'd gone and that was it and then Marathon day, um, I ran with my sister. Um, I we it was 2004. It was a really really hot day, and um, we wore matching cotton John Kerry t-shirts because <laughs> <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> it was a few days before the election, and we ran it. You know, we we finished it, and and we our faces were covered in salt because it was so hot, and and we swore we would never do it again. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we did, or I did anyway. Eventually, wow. yeah. It's interesting. I love that it was always in your heart, really, the running, and that you got back to it. You wrote such a beautiful description of going through medical school and the long shifts that you had and, like, the bright lights and the stress and the anxiety, and then going to Central Park and having this really serene, peaceful, beautiful experience. It's such a nice... It's it's just a it's a really nice counter um, foil to the emergency room or the, yeah. the hospital that you were having. So it's it sounds like you've refound your love of running. Definitely, I, you know, a lot of medical training. I think 
well, in a lot of careers, but I think particularly in medicine, there's a lot of imposter syndrome where mm-hmm. you get there and you feel like maybe somehow I snuck in, maybe someone in the admissions department just liked me and I shouldn't really be here. And one day someone's going to realize I shouldn't be here and kick me out and everyone knows more than I do. And I'm not really, I'm not a real doctor. I'm just pretending, you know, and I, th- and that combined with the stress of the long hours and how bright the lights were and how loud all the alarms were. I think for me running, especially in Central Park, having that quiet and that solitude, um, at that point I just only ran on my own. And I think I really <clears throat> needed that and benefited from it. It was a helpful counterbalance to medical training. I've heard other doctors say, talk about the imposter syndrome. Why do you think that is? You know, I think you're being asked to do something that's just so profound and so uh, consequential, you know, and mm-hmm. you, it's so natural to feel like you're not up to the ta- yeah. task. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just so much to know and you can never know it all. And yeah. someone else always seems like they know more than you or react quicker. Um, what I realized when I was an intern, like that's your first year out of medical training, is that the older residents always seemed calm. No matter what happened, someone could be crashing, they would always be calm in the way they spoke. And I kind of tried to adapt that as I got into, further into my medical training. You know, someone's crashing, you say, please, may I have the crash cart? <laughs> Can someone please call a code, <laughs> you know, calmly? But I think that's in itself is a kind of imposter act because you're kind of pretending right. to be calm, but you're really panicking, right. you know? And I think um, that sort of pervades a lot of medical training, but I think a lot of professionals in general and adults in general just feel that way that, you know, how am I the one in charge? I'd, <laughs> I shouldn't actually be here. Yeah. Yeah, that makes me think a lot of people talk about how running helps them in other areas of life, but maybe this your career has actually helped your running in terms of being calm under duress and stress. Yeah, I guess so. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that it's kind of helped me because it's so concrete, especially now that I've started to race and realize mm-hmm. that I'm pretty like good at racing. That's an outcome that I can't contest with myself. I can't be like, oh, I placed in that race because someone liked me. Like, no, I placed in that race because I I had a good race, you know? I ran hard, you know? Um, So it's it's a nice balance. I also like one of the the things that I think all the non-doctors, and this applies probably to any profession, everyone else's image of what that is is from television right. and that is always wrong right <laughs> like what people think a ho- you know the back doors behind the doors in a hospital looks like is all off of like really i don't know whatever the Grey's tv anatomy. shows Grey's anatomy right. house or well house is <laughs> like, ER. like yeah. totally wrong in many ways so it's kind of you know it's interesting to hear you say that like no you know there's like all these different dynamics that happen and you can even say that about the imposter syndrome and running can apply to you can, like I remember like yeah. when I showed up for group training day when I was like I don't think I belong here this is, these people are like they know way more than I do I have no clue what I'm doing and um, so it's like good to hear that like right in yeah. terms of like yeah there's a lot goes on that both emotionally physically how you handle mm-hmm. yourself what happens and especially the medicine field is just so consequential in terms of what kind of type of decisions you make right and I was kind of I had mentioned that I think that it's nice to have something that feels very um, high stakes to me in terms of my races you know I get to the start line and I really care how I do and I have a goal in mind but the truth is there are no actual consequences because no one else cares you know my (laughs) friends care if I'm happy you know but and you know maybe my team cares if I help score a point for a team race Mm -hmm. but the truth is it actually doesn't matter at all Um, so it's nice to have something that feels that way but isn't actually consequential you know it's one of my favorite things i love about running it's like we put so much attention into it because we yeah. care but it doesn't matter <laughs> it's really awesome um i have a question how did you know and when did you know that you wanted to do pulmonology 
Um, I think that when I was a resident, pulmonary goes along with critical care. Uh So you're in the ICU. And when you're a resident, a lot of your time is spent doing clerical work, you know, helping plan discharges or figuring out someone's home health aid situation or prescribing medication. It it doesn't really feel like you're actually being a doctor. And then when you go into the intensive care unit right away, you're actually doing things with your hands. You know, you're putting in lines and people, you're, you know, you're actually making decisions that matter on a moment-to-moment basis, and I really like that. Um, and then when I did my pulmonary critical care fellowship, I realized that that intensity was maybe a little too intense mm-hmm. for all the time. I didn't think I could sustain that my whole career. And pulmonary is kind of a nice balance because you have some patients who are healthy and maybe just have a little bit of asthma that's pretty mild, and you have patients who are really sick and complicated, and you kind of get a full range of all of that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Do you see many athletes? I see. It's interesting. I see a lot of athletes, and I think it helps me understand where they're coming from when they say they feel short of breath. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a young person, youngish person who was a runner and told me he had run seven miles, but it didn't feel like it should, and he was short of breath. And I think any, you know, anyone else who wasn't a runner might have been like, well, you ran seven miles. Mm-hmm. You're fine. But he was telling me he ran it much slower, and it was much harder. And and he ended up having blood clots in his lungs, oh, wow. you know, and so I think that helps. But then also with my older patients, I think it helps um, because I can sort of push them to exercise, you know, even if it's not what I'm doing, I can push them to walk for 30 mm-hmm. minutes a day or mm-hmm. something like that. Wow, that's inspiring. Yeah. Um, can you actually, this is a little technical, and if it's a boring question, don't. I was, yeah. I was, I was going to, this, I think you're going to the okay. same question that was in my head. Do you want to ask it? No, 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 go ahead. Yeah. Can you, from a medical perspective, talk to us about like what happens in our lungs when we become more fit, like as we go? Well, the truth is your lungs themselves are not doing anything different. Uh-huh. I mean, your vital capacity and, and how much oxygen and air you can bring in and out of your lungs is really dependent on your um age, gender, and height. Um, If you're really overweight, then that impacts it because the weight of the chest wall and the belly can decrease your lung capacity. But if that's not the case, your lung capacity isn't actually improving that much. It's more your efficiency that you're extracting oxygen and then depositing it in your tissues and your heart is pumping. So your lungs, when people ask me what exercises they could do for their lungs, there aren't really exercises mm-hmm. for your lungs, um, barring some you know extreme circumstances. Right. But for the general person, it's just a matter of becoming more fit in general and mm-hmm. you know not getting your lungs stronger what comes to my mind is like the metabolism of getting things to your muscles more efficiently that's what happens yeah right? your heart is pumping more efficiently your muscles are extracting oxygen more efficiently mm-hmm. you're metabolizing things more efficiently but your lungs are pretty much just going about their business okay. you know yeah, going about yeah. It. um it's interesting that you say height has something to do with it what how does height affect the lung capacity it's just like, your, the actual size of your okay. lungs you oh know? i see yeah. okay right that makes sense yeah <laughs> we can get even more technical yeah. so when you're running hard let's say a 5k or no, talk about a 10K. That's a little more soul crushing. Uh, <laughs> yes. in, in Central Park, yeah. Yeah. like the loop of Central Park 10K, yeah. you're racing yeah. it all out. Is there anything different happening to your lungs towards the end of it? Like when? Well, in general, I mean, you're just the lung, the volumes you're breathing are increasing anytime you're exercising. Um, when you're really hitting that point, though, that's more about that lactic acid building up. Right. And that, yeah, I mean, and your lungs do play a role in clearing out acid. Um, so yeah, you're breathing faster in order to compensate for that. And then you reach a limit at which you can't really compensate further with your lungs and with breathing. Um, so you can be limited by your breathing, but most people, it depends how fit you are, but most people hit a limitation before their lung capacity is what's 
stopping them. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. So this this might sorry to put you on the spot, and but <laughs> <laughs> have you had moments or stories or like or maybe you can break down a myth or two because you probably hear runners and coaches and people who are not like lung specialists talk about things for regarding running, and then you're like. Nope, that's not true. Right? <laughs> well, I guess the Is idea there a myth or something? I guess the idea of increasing your lung capacity or increasing number of alveoli or something like that, that, that doesn't actually happen. You may re- you recruit more of your lungs while you're exercising because you're breathing heavier, mm-hmm. but that's not like a permanent change. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not improving your actual lungs. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we've had so many funny long runs. I remember you and I were running one time and we were laughing about like just us pushing ourselves so much. <laughs> I remember you said, "Yeah, if we if we pulled over at the finish line and had blood work done, it would not be okay." <laughs> yes. Well, actually, I always think to myself, I should know the answer to this question, and I don't. But when I really race all out, like a five k or a ten k, I taste blood in my mouth. Mm. Like I I have the actual taste of blood, and I feel like I should know why that is. <laughs> but I've chosen not to question it. <laughs> Yes, ignorance is yeah. <laughs> You're like, that's a benchmark. I know I raced yeah, well. Yes. I tasted blood. <laughs> nice iron taste in my mouth. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, speaking of iron, I've had issues with low iron. and um, I know a lot of women do, and most don't. Is, there, is it really diet-related, or is it also just like our born physiology? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it's definitely more with women um, because women lose blood every month yeah. but um, and diet-related probably too, but I, yeah. I'm not exactly sure why that yeah. happens. But it's something I'm more aware of in work. When yeah. younger women tell me they're short of breath, it's something that I'm attuned to and I check a ferritin level often. So then I have this toe problem. <laughs> 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 My dad's a neurologist and at our Christmas party, he always like gets these random questions. Like, Doc, I got the gout. <laughs> A lot of random non-special sometimes, yeah. Questions. Mostly with my family, you know. It's <laughs> funny. They're like, I got the flu. What do I do? Yeah, yeah. Well, that I can like... handle. That's that's a, that's in my ballpark. Yeah, yeah. Right. So back to racing. Yeah. Um, so okay. So after you did Marine Corps, then that was 2004. Yeah. So you had a few years before you ran New York City. Were you still running during those years? I was. Um, and then I can't remember why I decided again in residency to run another marathon. But <laughs> 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 that was in t- 2006, and I did. Um, I did a lot better. My Marine Corps time was four four hours 33 minutes, and then my next marathon was 4:09, and then I did six 2006, seven and eight in New York, and I went from two. Uh, 409 to 352 and 351 in the next two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and all that time I was training really without a watch, without any clue of what I was doing. I would download like a plan online and like just sort of follow it, you know. Um, and th- at some point after I had my kids and I wanted to get back into running, I took a long hiatus when I was pregnant. And then the year after I had my kids, I have twins. Um, I decided to sign up for the New York Roadrunners virtual trainer. And that actually, um, you know, there was direct feedback every day from the coaches about your workout and it sort of built on itself I bought a GPS watch finally you know and I realized what the paces meant and that I have to actually do speed work and do tempo runs and do a certain amount of mileage and I got a lot faster and that year I did 453 but I thought I kind of underperformed and then eventually the next year I did the 316 and then 314 nice yeah yeah in New York in New York all in New York yeah yeah Will you do a flat race? I would like to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the plan. This year, this coming year, I'm pacing New York. I'm going to be the four hour one of the four hour pacers. But I would like to do um, uh, in the fall also a nice flat 
easier in quotes marathon <laughs> yeah nice. how's the pacing journey been i saw yeah. an amazing photo recently of <laughs> you crossing the finish line of a race and you're pacing 145 and the clock says 14500 yeah, like and you just crossed over it was like kind of yeah. really amazing to watch yeah i started pacing about a year ago i guess i think we had all talked about doing mm-hmm. it together and and i first paced the shape half marathon and it was just so much fun it's so empowering you know mm-hmm. you're running at a speed that's not really physically demanding for you you know it's a lot slower than you're capable of so you feel comfortable but you know the people that you're running with are really that's their big goal you know and and it's really fun to be able to help people achieve that goal and and feel like you are good enough to be able to do that it's a you know it feels good it feels you know, empowering and, and fun and you know you you realize you've had enough enough experience to know what pace you're supposed to run and be able to lock into that pace and talk to people and encourage people throughout the way so I've done shape twice now and one of the um, long training runs over the summer and then um, the New York City half I paced also yeah and that's been a lot of fun can you tell us about the recent um, shape half because it was like a very unusually warm and humid day and how was it for the people that you were pacing it was hard I mean I think people really struggled I started out with a big crowd and ended up with only a handful at the end um, and it's a hilly course and it was a hot day and no one was really prepared for that. Yeah. Um, but it was so hot that day. Yeah. I, I managed five miles. Yeah, yeah. We were jogging along and then we had just finished our run and then we saw you go by. Yeah. And we're like, oh, so good. You're like, hey. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's like an out of body experience when I pace. I don't really feel any pain or, or right. discomfort physically. I'm just so focused on like every mile being on pace, who, where my runners are, if everyone's doing okay, warning them about whatever's coming up in the course, you know, so it's, it's a fun way to race without actually racing yeah as you have paced more have you do you think about what you're gonna say to the runners i do like, yeah this what time if you start in... dropping like pulmonology knowledge bombs <laughs> on them like, by the way your lungs are still doing the same thing i'm yeah. just letting you know that's not getting stronger <laughs> well i tell them always to try to run the tangents i'm like you don't get extra credit for running more yeah. <laughs> and then i tell them um, when the race photographers are coming up to smile so that people have nice race pictures <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good thing to say i love that yeah so stuff like that yeah. Do you get nervous? Yes, I get so nervous. I get so nervous before I pace because there's so many people who are counting on me. And I, I, I before this most recent one, because I had had men, meniscus surgery about four weeks before this last shape marathon that I the half marathon that I paced. So I didn't know if I was physically in shape to do it. I didn't know if my knee would hold up. And I had anxiety dreams every night for a week. <laughs> and in like half of them, I was eating a bowl of chili before the start, like right at the start. <laughs> And I don't know why. I don't even eat chili. <laughs> and I was like, I'm never going to be able to do this. Why am I eating this? <laughs> like, it would have been even funnier if you're at the start line with the paste stick and eating chili. <laughs> telling, telling everybody, relax, guys. As soon as I'm done, we'll get started. <laughs> so, yes, I get very anxious because it matters to me a lot. Yeah, I, this right. actually has more consequences because people are counting on you. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's a big deal. That's really cool. Yeah. Can we talk about, you have two lovely, beautiful, hilarious little girls. <laughs> Thank you. They're yeah. so funny. Uh, one of my favorite stories is like when you hadn't made it to the double A corral, you only had the A corral. <laughs> yeah. And like they, they would ask you like, why don't you have two A's yeah. on your on your bib? <laughs> 
totally shame me about it. <laughs> Can we talk about them a yeah. little bit? Yeah. So I have two girls. Their names are Dylan and Julia. They're six years old. And uh, they're very funny and very <laughs> aware of all my running stuff, you know. And they definitely are good sports about it because, yeah. you know, they know that it takes me away from them at times. Um, but they get it. And they're proud of it. And the, the double A thing was a really big deal for them. <laughs> It was a big deal for me, but more so for them. Yeah. <laughs> they were really happy when I got that. <laughs> they they get that, yeah. They were funny last summer when they, you guys came to my little birthday thing. They both made me birthday cards, and both of them wrote, "We hope you get into double A <laughs> this year." <laughs> and you did. <laughs> well, both of you did from the same race. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Bronx, well, yeah. that race it was a Bronx ten mile, and um, my whole strategy that day, Anne, was to keep up with you. <laughs> Which is my race strategy for most races. <laughs> you do a very good job. <laughs> but that was a great race. I love that race so much. It was like the I was the peak of my New York City like training fitness and it was a beautiful day and the course mm. was nice and I don't know. It was one of my favorite races ever. The day was perfect. Yeah. I feel like it was such a gift. We had such a hot, humid summer. Yeah. And that was just, it broke that one day. And then the next day, wasn't it horrible the next day? It, it was yeah. quite warm the next yeah. day, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually remember Roberto uh, Manje, who you had on before. I was talking to him a few days prior because I had done a pretty long long run a few days prior, and I wasn't sure what I could do. And I thought maybe I would just like, can the whole thing and just you know run it as a training run. And he was like, "Why are you putting limitations on yourself? Just go. You're fit right now. See what you can do. It's not going to hurt you. So just see." So I was like, "Okay, I guess I'll go for it." Yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. you had yeah. done a. 20 miler like three days before I yeah think. i mean that's uh, the another thing about having my girls is that my training schedule is often a little weird you know it's like i can the weekends so i am divorced i share custody so every other weekend i have my kids and every other weekend i don't and that makes it hard to do long runs on the weekends i have them um it's hard to find child care for a couple hours and then mm-hmm. you know so anyway i end up doing a lot of long runs on wednesdays when i have a day off mm-hmm. and that ends up being a solitary long long run in the middle of the week which is kind of weird for training cycles in general you know in training Mm -hmm. most people do you know maybe tuesdays and thursdays for their speed workouts and my schedule gets all screwed up so i had done a long run on wednesday and then the race i think was saturday or something like that so speaking of like you have a really demanding job like being doctors like it takes up a lot of your time it's like and even just being in that environment it's kind of taxing then you have two girls and then you're training for and I mean (laughs) running is your outlet out of all of this but at the same time it brings a lot of joy but it obviously takes up a lot of time can you talk about how you manage that I know it's a general question but like you you talked about how your long run and and long runs end up being a Wednesday right like that's one thing but I I always wonder I'm like how do you do that like how do you yeah I always like like, think I I try to basically shoehorn it into whenever I have time that particular day so it you know, a lot of times it's really early morning at like, you know, 5.30 or 5.45. I have a babysitter actually who who lives next door to me who's in her 20s who will come over and, you know, stay in my apartment while I run for 45 minutes. But, you know, it's only 45 minutes that I have at that point. So I have to just accept that whatever time I have is what I'm going to, you know, is what I, what I have and that's all. And I just make the best of that and, mm-hmm. you know, run as much as I can, as hard as I can in the time I have. <laughs> it's like Gordon Bakula style yeah. when she was like, yeah, I had like 26 minutes. I'm going to go just run hard and come back in right 26 minutes. Do you do, um, I mean, you have different schedule every week, so but do you always do your long run on Wednesdays just to keep it consistent? Or Well, it's hard because I like training. Like I, I, I run with the Whippets and they have long runs on Saturdays and other friends run on the weekends. So I sometimes end up 
alternating, which isn't great because then I end up doing long runs sort of back to back and things like that. But um, but it's I, I like running long runs with people, yeah. <laughs> with teammates and things. Um, so when I can, I like to do it on the weekends. But the weeks I can't, I just do it on the Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. the fact that you're able mentally to be flexible helps I'm sure yeah I think that's kind of my mantra (laughs) yeah the flexibility (laughs) because it's like a race we don't know what's going to happen in the race you have to just go with it yeah you're good at going with it thank you yeah yeah Um, so will you tell us a little bit about New York last year? Oh, the yeah. I mean, I had a, had a good training cycle. I was really fit. I was racing a lot and doing really well in all the races I was running in. And I felt pretty good going in. And I thought I was in maybe 305 shape, maybe three, 310. But I thought mm-hmm. I had a chance at 305. Um, but New York is kind of brutal, you know. Yeah. Um, it's just you, know, you get out there so early in the morning and you're waiting and waiting. And then you get to the start and you're waiting longer and on your feet. Um, I don't want to make excuses. It's, um, I, I would like to one day, like I said, do an easier it, it, marathon. It, it's not an excuse because <laughs> yeah. I've run yeah. out of city marathons yeah. and it's like so easy to like just rock up to the start line and go. Yeah. So it's, I don't, I don't think it's like yeah. an ex- Even other big races, like when I ran Berlin, I was like, what? Like this is so stress-free compared to like what you have to do for a point-to-point race. Yeah. Yeah. But go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. But I, I, um, I always, I, I always tend to go out a little too hard. I mean, this um, running flaw that I have, and I did it last year in the New York City Marathon. I promised myself I wouldn't do it again this year, but of course I did do it again. It's hard not to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I do know better. I'm experienced enough to know better than that. But yet it happened again. So for the first few miles, I was running sub seven minute miles, which was too fast for my goal. And uh, I made it. I, at least I caught it this time faster than I did last time. And I pulled back. Um, and my goal was like seven ten or so um and I got to that pace but it just wasn't my day I the moment from the first two miles I didn't I never felt comfortable you know when you get into that groove where you're like oh this is I I feel it like I'm in that I'm in the zone and I never got there and I got to mile 16 over the Queensborough Bridge which actually for me usually is a good point in the race I love that bridge I love the quiet when after all the crowds I love that solitude, you know, among all the runners, but you don't have all people screaming at you. And I got to the Queensboro Bridge and I felt awful. I just felt like, I don't know if I'm going to finish this thing. And I did. I mean, I gutted it out. I still got a PR. I got to 314, but I thought it didn't reflect my fitness at the time. And the last 10 miles were really a beast. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, every mile was a struggle. Yeah. 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 And that's early to have every mile be a struggle. Yeah. It was. It felt terrible. Yeah. yeah. Come, how was coming up Fifth Avenue? Oh, the only thing that got me through actually is I knew that friends from work, my family were going to be there and then friends from work were going to be at Mount Sinai and a whole crowd of people were outside of Mount Sinai. One of my mentors at work, um, Gwen Sklute, she she and her fellow who was running with her and a couple other people all came out and and cheered for me at at Sinai and that really helped. Oh, that's (laughs) Um, great. That gave me a big boost. Yeah. I have two things to say about everything that you just said. First, before last year's New York, we had a little sit down, you, me, Ben, and George. Ben and George have been on this podcast before. Ben Delaney, if you're listening, (laughs) we always have to mention Ben on the podcast. Um, And I loved, we were talking about like how, what, how to run New York. I have, I'd never run, so I was kind of just listening and everybody was talking about their, what the strategy should be. And at one point you were like super, I loved your honesty. You were like, guys, let's face it. I'm not going to negative split a race. That's not how I run. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So that was really... Um, I love that. You, you know how you race, right? I, I really love that honesty about yourself. And then I'm going to just on the podcast bug you again 
to run wine glass. Uh, yes. Or like <laughs> yeah. a flat marathon yeah. to like get that time one time. Yeah. yeah, maybe I'll do wine glass this year. I was supposed to do it last year, and then I decided I couldn't live without doing New York again. So. Yeah. <laughs> I know, we keep saying we're going to run one together. Maybe yes. that's the one we do together. Yes, that would be great. I would love to do that. That would yeah. be really fun. What are your kind of 2019, 2020 goals? I know you're pacing New York, so yeah. that's an amazing I, goal. I feel like this year is a little bit weird because of my meniscus tear, and coming back from that has been a little slow, and I'm going to be pacing New York. So I, I'm not sure about this year. I, I definitely want to get clo- closer, you know, definitely under 310 marathon. I think I have that in me. Um, and I, I'd like to work on my halftime, too. I think I can get a little bit lower on that as well. Um, so those, those are my two big ones, yeah. How do you, everybody has a different approach or maybe conceptually everyone's the same when we are going through an injury. Mm-hmm. What is your usually the approach or what you try to do? Denial. <laughs> <laughs> I love your honesty. Okay, phase one, denial. <laughs> totally. I don't know. It's kind of new to me. Honestly, I had had a really lucky streak for a long time without getting injured. And this mm-hmm. meniscus thing has kind of been mm-hmm. a little... You know, I'm just learning how to deal right, with so it. So, yeah, that yeah, 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 exactly. Like, like us, we're in the same yeah. boat. Yeah, we're in the same boat. Because you were in pain, after, like, around the marathon time. Was it related? No, I okay. think, but it was the same leg. So I same think leg, I just need yeah. to, like, go to a PT like you had on last week right. and figure out why I'm always injuring my right side. It's my right side, too. Yeah. Same I've got the left side covered. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, injuries are tough mentally. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, because, I mean, as we mentioned last week, like the nice thing about doing PT is you get exercises to do, so you feel like you have a little bit of control over the injury, but then there's like what's going on upstairs of getting, letting go of the goals and having to sit races out. Yes, um, yeah, I mean, I've been really looking forward to doing Brooklyn this year, and it's yeah. just not in the cards this year. I can't do it, and that's disappointing, and I think I'm going to have to stay off social media that day and just <laughs> yeah. not get obsessed about the fact that I'm not running it. Yeah, and I mean, I found, and I think you can agree that it's really getting close with the community, like other injured runners. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. I disagree. No, no, I agree. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, so, it is true. It is yeah. true. It really it brings you together in a different way, right? Like yeah. you realize this, and because when you are really healthy and you're running, and it, so it you end up bonding towards like everyone who's healthy and running. You're yeah. doing the thing your entire cycle, and then you really get pulled out of that. And running such a big part of it's not just the just the running bit, right? Yeah. With, like with us, with group training, and almost anywhere where they're these group dynamics built up, we kind of feed off of each other's energy and do all these things. And almost all of that goes away a little bit and it becomes kind of solitary if if it will. I mean, you don't, you can try not to make that happen, but it's just inevitable. So you have to kind of live through that, which stretches everything. Yeah. Definitely. It's really tough. Yeah. Um, It's an opportunity to catch up on sleep. That's true. And And I've been doing that. And reading. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, So at the end of our episodes, we ask our guests if, they could offer one training tip to our listeners i think that mine is just to accept what your limitations are in terms of your life you know like we're all you know people on your podcast are all recreational runners and we love it and are passionate about it but we also have you know families and careers and it's just to be flexible if you have 45 minutes make the most of that 45 minutes if you know it just kind of accept where you're at in terms of your life and what you could fit in and and just go with that and realize that everyone you see on Strava who seems to be doing the perfect training, you know, no one is doing the perfect training. And also, you know, you have to, 
you can't always compare yourself to other people because you have your own life issues and situation. So just do what you can. (laughs) I love that. That's so good. Thanks, Barbara. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Like I started my story in the beginning that you two have been really instrumental in my like running journey. So I'm glad you're here today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I know. Likewise, just I remember one of the first times we started. I know we're supposed to be wrapping up. (laughs) This is our D-wrap. Yeah, Yeah, like the love gram at the end. I remember I was doing Tuesday group training and you were doing Thursday. And then the second session I did Tuesday and Thursday. And I remember you came up to me and you said, I recognize you from the starting line. (laughs) That's right. And we just like started running together. You know what? The podcast not over. I have one other question. (laughs) In your story, you talked about there was a moment at group training where Coach Stewart Calderwood pulled you aside yes. and said something to you, and oh. I think that was pretty important. I think it was actually a huge. Turning I, I can't point believe for me. I friggin' missed that. Like, yeah. yeah, Stewart pulled me aside after some workout and said, "Listen, I think you have some real potential, and if you work at this hard, I, I think you can really do something with it." Mm-hmm. You know, and that was like mind blowing to me. I mean, yeah. it changed everything. I, I knew I was reasonably good, but I didn't think that it, I was, you know, had anything special in terms of running, but that really changed things and made me focus on it more and gave me confidence. And it was a game changer. I love that. It's like it undid what that coach. Yes, totally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. It really did. It was, it, it really did. Yeah. That's in a meaningful so way. That's so great. It yeah. helps to have a supportive community. For Calderwood sure. one, yeah. Wallace zero. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Coach Wallace, <laughs> like negative five thousand. <laughs> I don't know. Zero has a better ring to it. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, th- thank you for sharing that because it's it's quite significant. Like because obviously you were thinking a little bit differently in terms of your running up until that point. Yeah. And then it switches something when a it coach did. of that caliber comes up to yeah. you and says, "Hey, listen." Yeah. Like. And how long had you been at group training when that happened? A couple months, maybe. Yeah. Not that long. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's great. Thank you for sharing thank that. You. And thank you for being on <laughs> this you, podcast. Yeah. See you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. Bye.